Well, good morning. Hey, it's a beautiful day outside. Isn't a beautiful day outside. I mean, okay, it's not raining. It's not super cold. It's one of the nicer days we've had. So, yeah, that's right. Hey, you're probably wondering where Josh is. Um, Josh, he does um, prison ministry, and I think he's over at Pontiac Prison. That's right. He ministers. He goes every once in a while to the prisons to um, um, talk to the men, preach to them, to um, just encourage them. So that's where he's at. So give him a prayer at this time, too. Um, just a couple things. Um, he's not here, so I'm speaking today, so you're stuck with me. I just want to let you know, I don't get paid for this. So you know what they say about free things, okay? You know, you get what you pay for, all right? So I'll do my best this morning and stuff. I hope you be blessed. Um, a couple things I just want to, if you don't know who I am, my name is Paul Cohn. I'm one of the elders of the church. Just a couple things about me. Um, uh, I'm a girls track coach at, at the high school. Um, also, I have three children. You probably don't know that, but I have three children. I have my daughter who lives in California. In fact, that's where my wife is right now. She, we haven't seen my daughter in about two years, so Beth went out for a long weekend to go visit my daughter. Also, we have an older son, and his name is Kellen, and he lives in Tucson, um, Arizona. And then we have my other son right there, Clay. Um, he's always comes in late, like he does, all right? <laughs> and sometimes he's the one that always... Acts like he's sleeping in church, so, you know, that's him over there. So, just a little bit about myself. Um, today's message is going to be pretty sim- uh, simplistic, because uh, I'm a simple guy. Um, I'm not a theologian. I don't have any um, credentials uh, going back to the Bible, and, you know, uh, at school or anything. So, what you're going to get is just from my heart. I'm just going to share with you what God's put on my heart, and also, basically, what happens in my life. Um, that's how I, I do that the best, is share people, share with people what goes on in my life to hope to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Anyway, um, one of the neat things I like about being a Christian is this, that every once in a while, God gives you an eye-opening insight into who he is and his character, and it's really neat. Have you ever happened that? All of a sudden, something just, wow, God just hits you with something? Like when you're reading your Bible every once in a while, you know, and all of a sudden you'll be reading it, and all of a sudden... Bam! There's just something really neat that jumps out at you, just like, whoa, I've never seen that before. I've read this scripture numerous times, and whoa, it's right there. I've never seen that before. Well, that happened to me. And Has that ever happened to you? You ever happened to you? A yes? No? Yeah? yeah. Okay, yeah, all right. Uh, this happened to me when I was reading Nehemiah, and in fact, it was chapter Nehemiah 9. And one thing I liked about it is... Nehemiah is one of those books that's one of the lesser read books in the um, Old Testament, but I love the Old Testament. My mom used to read me Bible stories every day before. I used to go to the school over here, and she would, she would wash the dishes, and then she would have me dry them. And while I was drying them, she used to read me Bible stories, and most of them she read was out of the Old Testament. So I really like the Old Testament. But Nehemiah is not one of those uh, books that people get into a lot. Um, it's one of the lesser read books. But when I read this chapter 9 in Nehemiah, it's probably one of the best chapters I have ever read in such a long time. There was so much into it, and I just want to share that with you. Um, in fact, when I read that, the first thing when I read that, is, um, as an elder, we have to get up and speak like this every once in a while when Josh is gone or he's someplace. And when I read that, I knew that I have to do that message. If I ever get a chance to speak, I'm going to do that message. In fact... I knew right away what the title of my message would be, and it's, it's all about you. So I just want to and, and let you know about that. So in April, Josh talked in one of his messages. He said, the fear 
is the opposite of faith. He brought up the question, how do we trust God and grow in our faith so we can replace our fear with faith? I'm going to repeat that. He said, fear is the opposite of faith. So how do we trust God and grow in our faith so we can replace that fear with faith? Well, his answer was, when we start to understand the character of God. Again, in March, Josh talked about doing a walk around in our lives to review and to remember God's love and his character. You know, I had this sermon in my brain before that, so when Josh was saying this, I'm kind of going, man, he's, I wanted to stand up and go, hey, quit taking all my stuff, ideas, you know, but <laughs> that was one thing I thought, hey, quit doing that. So anyway, um, so what can help us understand the character of God, and what can help us increase our faith in him? Well, I think one way is remembering and reminding ourselves often about who God is and all the things he's done. We have to do that. We have to remember and remind ourselves of all the things that God has done for us if we want to increase our faith. Our focal life in life must be God. And for this reason, when we focus on God, who he is, what he's done, and what he can do, his love, his compassion, his mercy, his overall greatness and power, then it has to change our perspective and outlook on life. Don't you think? If we really look at God and see who he is, when we look at life and our problems and our struggles, it puts in a whole different light. Last week, our guest speaker, Paul, I can't remember, I can't remember his last name, but what's that? Harshbarger, thanks. Okay, but anyway, Paul talked about this. He says, when we encounter Jesus, something happens. And when nothing happens, something's wrong. The point is that, the point of this is, when we start to remind ourselves all the characteristics of God, who he is and what he can do, then we'll look at our lives, our problems, our struggles, yeah, and even our good times in a completely different light. We look at those completely different. Our attitudes change. Our reactions change. Our faith changes. So when we encounter Jesus, we change. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this. If anyone belongs to Christ, they are a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. So I'm asking, how can our faith change? Well, when we begin to remind ourselves of God's character, who he is and what he does, then we begin to have a confidence in him. And when we have a confidence in him, we begin to trust him more. And then with this trust, we'll start listening to him, which allows us to obey him. I'm going to repeat that. How can our faith change? When we begin to remind ourselves who God is and his character and all the things that he can do, it gives us a confidence in him. And when we have that confidence, we will trust him more. And then when we start to trust him, we're going to start listening to him. And then when we listen to him, it allows us to obey him more. You understand? All that, it's like a process. But it's confidence in God, having this confidence in God. Now comes the problem. This is the biggest problem of all. It's us humans. It's infallible humans. What happens is a lot of times we get 
Uh, we get mired down in our muck of our lives or of our day-to-day stuff or, quote, quote, busyness. We all get so busy, don't we tend to forget about God? We just get so busy, and some of the things in life are okay. I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, family, a job, you know, uh, taking your kids places. Um, you know, there's a lot of things to think about. But we tend, as humans, the unfortunate thing is we forget about God. And we tend to forget, and then we start losing our trust in him and our faith in him. In fact, in 2 Peter, uh, 2 Peter 1, 8 and 9, it talks about the people who have lost track of their relationship with God. Let's turn to 2 Peter 1, 8 and 9. I think we got that. Yep. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their own sins. The problem is, is they forgot. They forgot. I've known, I've been in Christian ministry for over 30 years, doing youth, um, youth ministries, and I've known a lot of leaders that I've known over the years who's worked with me or I've worked next to, and some of those have fallen away. I've had some close, close friends that have led me to the Lord, but now they're kind of like, they've kind of fallen away. And I've, all, and I've talked to many um, pastors and youth pastors over the years, and we kind of, we just, sometimes we just go, what goes? What gives? What changed? And I think, according to Peter, that they just forgot all that God's done for them. And if we tend to forget, we always fall back, get into our old bad habits. So we need to be reminded. And if you turn to, uh, if you go down a little bit to verse 12, Peter, this is, this is a great verse, because Peter's going to um, say something that's really cool. It says in 12, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them, and are standing firm in the truth that you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For the Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure that you always remember these things that I have taught after I'm gone. See, Peter thought it was so important to remind us all about what God's done for us. He said, he, in fact... It, he says, I'm going to work so hard to the day I die to remind you guys over and over and over all the things that God has done for you. Josh has done excellent um, with this. He's t- he, a lot of times he, he says, you've got to remember how God, what God does for you. And that's the reason, because we need to be reminded because who we are. We are infallibly humans. We tend to walk away from God. So we need to be reminded all the time about who God is. So, remembering and reminding ourselves of how great God is is what brings us to our passage today. If you turn to Nehemiah 9, you can take your Bibles. Now, you know what? I think I heard one time Josh say, mark in your Bibles, even the, even the ones there, right? So, you know what? It's okay if you mark in them, because this, is, this chapter just blew my mind away. I could not believe this chapter. I'm, I'm just telling you, I've read this, I've read Nehemiah numerous times, and i just never seen it. This is, this is so cool. Let's read this. 
Okay, first of all, uh, first of all, one thing is um, I was watching ESPN about uh, a month and a half ago, and LeBron James, you know who LeBron James is? He's the great basketball player, you know, for the Miami Heat. He is great. He's a good, really good basketball player. Well, he scored 61 points in the game, and I was watching, as I was watching the video, they had a clip that was called the 61-second clip of all his 61 points. Well, Nehemiah 9 is kind of like a video clip for, of Israel at this time. So I just want to keep that, in, keep that in mind. In fact, I'll refer back to the 61 points with LeBron a little bit later. Okay? Now, in Nehemiah 9, Israel's in the same boat that we get into when we tend to forget about God and all he's done for us. I'm going to give you a little quick history about Israel at this time. This happened about 445 B.C. Israel had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Okay? And... They uh, finally, some exiles came back, and they had went had rebuilt the temple. But then about another 70, 72 years had went by, and some more exiles came back to Babylon, because there, there were still people that were still in Babylon at that time. And one of them was Nehemiah, and he was a cupbearer to the king. And I think it was one of his family members came back and said, hey, the temple's been built, but the walls of Jerusalem are still down. And it upset Nehemiah so much that he went and asked the king of Persia if he could go back and rebuild the walls. So he went back and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. He did it. He got people together, and he did it in 52 days. And after that, they had a big celebration, and they were worshiping God together. Um, they read God's word together. In fact, they even had this called the Festival of Shelters that they hadn't, um, they hadn't done since the times of Joshua. And that was a long time. And he hadn't done that since the times of Joshua. But anyway, now they're getting together again and having another big service. And so let's go to verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 3. Let's read that. Follow along in your Bibles. Let me get to it, please. It says this. On October 31st, the people assembled again. And this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust upon their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all the foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. Then for three more hours they confessed their sins and worshipped the Lord their God. Over the years I've heard some people go, man, Josh preaches a long time. He doesn't hold a candle to what happened here. Okay, six hours. Now, if I was up here for six hours, I guarantee you there would be every empty seat in here, except maybe my son, he'd be sleeping, you know, so there would be, you guys would be gone, okay? But they stood for uh, six hours to talk, to listen to God's word and to praise God. That is just, that's just one awesome thing. And then let's go down to verse five. It says this, and I'm not going to read these names, I just want to let you know, so I'm going to kind of move. It says, then the leaders of the Levites, who were the priests, a priestly tribe, came out to the people, and they said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, for he lives from everlasting to everlasting. And then they prayed. And this is the prayer that they prayed. If you've got a pen, I want you to start. You can maybe mark some of these. It says, May your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are God. You made the skies and the heavens and the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserve them all, and all the angels of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him from the Ur of the Chaldeans and renamed him Abraham. When he had proved himself faithful, 
you made a covenant with him to give him and his descendants the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Jebusites, and the Gerashites. And you have done what you promised. And for you always are true to your word. You saw the misery of, your, of our ancestors in Egypt, and you heard their cries. You displayed miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, his officials, and all his people. For you knew how arrogantly they were treating our ancestors. You have a glorious reputation that has never been forgotten. You divided the sea for the people so they could walk on through the dry land. And, when, and then you hurled their enemies into the depths of the sea. They sank like stones and beneath the mighty waters. You led our ancestors by the pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night so they could find their way. You see that? That's why I want you to mark that. Did you see how many yous were in there? Who are they referring to? God. God, you did this. God, you did that. In fact, in this passage, there, in, my, in my Bible here, there is over, over 50. And depending on what translation you read, in the NIV, there is over 79 you or yours referring to God in this passage. I counted them. It took me a while, you know. I'd do about three times to make sure I got it. i go, and then I was marking them and then find another one, you know. So uh, if you mark in your Bible, I think that would be a great one to mark in this, in this Bible here because it tells all about God that you did this. And the one thing I noticed, too, is the majority of the yous or yours, the majority of the yous, they're in a proactive state that God's doing something. Here, let me, let me share, share with you a little bit. It says, you saw, you heard you knew, you divided, you hurled, you came down, you gave, you instructed, um, you sent, you helped, you handed. There's so many proactive yous in there that the, the, the you is just not singular, but he's doing something. Doesn't God do that for us? Josh, in another sermon, Josh had talked about God pursues us. See, I told you he was stealing my material, okay? <laughs> but he's always pursuing this. God is relentless for you. In, if we turn to, if I'm going to read you out of what it says in Revelations 3.20. This is a very popular one, but this is what it says. In Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and I will share a meal together as friends. See, who's the active one there? God. God's knocking on our hearts constantly. He's knocking on our soul. Hey, are you there? I'd like to come in. God is always pursuing us. He's always proactive in our lives. He wants to be involved in your life. I gave another sermon last year that he wants to be with you. That's why he created you. God created you and you and you so, so he could spend time with you. Not so much that you could spend time with him, but he wants to spend time with you. That's an awesome, awesome thought. So what's it say about the kind of God we serve? He's just a proactive one. He never stops searching for us. How about the story of the 99 sheep? Remember, he left the, all the 99 and he went after just the one? God does that for us. What a great and awesome God we have. 
Now, let's go to uh, chapter, uh, verse um, 29 to 32. I'd like to go for that. If you look at that, 29. This is what it says. But as soon as they were at peace, your people again committed evil in your sight. And once more, you let their enemies conquer them. Yet whenever your people turned and cried to you again for help, you listened once more from heaven. And in your wonderful mercy, you rescued them many times. You warned them not to return to your law, but they became proud and obstinate and disobeyed your commands. They did not follow your regulations by which people will find life if they only obey. They stubbornly turned their backs on you and refused to listen. In your love, you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit who warned them through their prophets, but still they wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the peoples of the land to conquer them. But in your great mercy, you did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. And now, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love, do not let all the hardships we have suffered seem insignificant to you. Whoa. What does that say about God? You hear the description that he gave about God? He's gracious. He's merciful, he's forgiving, he's mighty, and he's awesome. Or as some maybe some um, California surfer dude might might say, he's awesome, dude. You know, so God is awesome. All these things remind him of all this. Now my favorite. Now we're going to my favorite verse in the whole chapter. This is going to basically kind of sum it up for me. Let's go to chapter, uh, verse thirty-eight. Now, what's happened here is the prayer is finishing out, and they're going to say how God has put them in captivity, but they deserved everything that they got, and they still praise God for that. And here's at the very, after the prayer is finished, this is what, this is what the people did. And the, re, and the people responded, in view of all this, we are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing. And what they did, they confessed their sins and said, we're going to follow God. Now, this is what I meant when I said that when we remember, we remind ourselves who God is, and all that he does, that all that he does, it comes down to these five words. If you take your life and look back and remember all the things that God has done, it's going to come down to these five words. And this is what the Israelites happened to the Israelites. It said, in view of all this. You know, when we look back, they couldn't say anything more. When they seen what God had done for them, that's the only thing they could say. In view of all this, the facts, what you've done, yeah, you're right. And when we take, we stop and remind ourselves all the things that God's done in your life. I think your only response, if you're true to yourself, you've got to say, in view of all this, God is it. He's the master. He's the great one. Again, if we want to grow in our faith, the one thing we can do is remind ourselves that we can be confident in God because who he is. And then when we have this confidence, we're going to trust him more. And when we trust him more, we're going to, we're going to listen to him more. And when we listen to him, then we're going to obey him. Do what he asks us to do. Now I'm going to give you one last example of this, and 
It's about Wilt Chamberlain. And you're probably going, Wilt Chamberlain? Why would that be an example? Well, I'll tell you why. Okay? Like I said, this is going to be a simplistic sermon. Okay? <laughs> this comes from a simple mind. But I'm a sports nut. And when I was a kid, uh, Wilt Chamberlain was by far my favorite basketball player. In fact, he was, he was my favorite basketball player. This is, I made a scrapbook of Wilt Chamberlain. In fact, in the front of it, it says, to the greatest basketball player that ever lived or breathed, Wilt Chamberlain. And I was, you know, I'm thinking they're getting, you know, so I'm going to set this down here. I took a long time. I took a long time to get these out. Now, you wonder, where did you get all these pictures? Well, don't tell anybody, but there's probably some um, pictures missing out of some Bradley University periodicals of life in Sports <laughs> Illustrated. Okay. <laughs> So I was before, that was before I was a Christian. I just want to let you guys know that. <laughs> okay. See, I, oh, you get my Wilt, Wilt thing up there? Yeah, there we go. Okay. See, he was, my favorite, he was my favorite player. In fact, I went and got Sports Illustrated. I even finally, when I became a Christian, um, I said, I can't do that anymore. So what I did, um, so what I did was I went and wrote um, Sports Illustrated and said, hey, can I get some copies, you know? And luckily, back then, they had some copies. Like, that one in the middle is, like, from 65, and the one um, in the middle where he's dunking, that's from 62, and they sent them to me. Because I was just a, a Wilt Chamberlain nut. Anyway, the point I was making is, Wilt Chamberlain was such a great basketball player. I know all his facts, almost all of them. I used to know them even better, but I still know them. In fact, Wilt Chamberlain, won, one game, he scored 100 points. In one basketball game, he scored 100 points. And I even know the stats to that game. He was 36 for 63 from the field. He was 28 for 32 from the free throw line. He had 25 rebounds, and he played 48 minutes, okay, in that one game. You know, we talked about um, LeBron James. He scored the 61 points, and ESPN made a um, – they call him King James, okay? And then he made this big thing. Oh, King James, he's so great, he scored 61 points. Did you know that Wilt did that 32 different times? In fact, there was one season he scored 50.4 points a game. That's 50 per the whole season. And in another season, he averaged, in an NBA game, they play 48 minutes. He averaged 48.5 minutes per game. He played every minute there was in the whole season. He has all the rebound records, and everybody tells me, well, Bill Russell is probably the, he, he had more championships than Wilt. He was the better player. Well, Wilt Chamberlain has the single game record for rebounds. It's 55. And guess who that was against? Bill Russell. You know? Okay? I've watched, I had season tickets to the, to the Chicago Bulls, and I watched Michael Jordan. He was a great player. He was. But compared to Wilt, he wasn't. Wilt was by far. In fact, on ESPN about three weeks ago, um, Kevin Durant, he's the, he's the leading scorer of the NBA the last couple of years. Um, he scored like 25 points in um, 40, different games, 40 straight games, and he were kind of comparing him to Michael Jordan. He's almost catching up with Michael Jordan. And finally, he broke Michael Jordan's, Michael Jordan's thing. Of, I think he got 42, and Michael Jordan got 41. You know how many Wilt had in consecutive? 82. Okay? So I'm confident, I don't care what happens, when somebody comes up to me and says, LeBron James or Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player that ever lived, I go, no way. Wilt Chamberlain by far does it. Okay? Bar none. So what's my point? Okay? 
I went and got a scrapbook. I know I know everything about Will Chamberlain, so I could be confident that he's the greatest basketball player in the whole world ever. So why can't we be confident? I'm, why do we know about God enough? Do you know God's stats? Do you have a scrapbook of God written on your hearts? I think if we had that, we would go, bar none. So when somebody comes, on, somebody comes up and says to us, hey, God's dead, and you go, no, he's not. Because I know, I got the scrapbook. I got all the stats, all the facts right here. And they go up to here and say, no way. That's the God who we serve. He's the awesome, the great, the powerful, the merciful, the forgiving. Nothing compares to our God that we serve. And the cool thing, he wants to be with you. Let's pray. Hey, Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you who you are. Lord, I pray that we'll all have a scrapbook of God on our hearts. That we'll know, we'll study and learn things about you. That when people say there's, you're not there, that we know that you're there. And we thank you for your love and your kindness. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for wanting to be with us even though we're so infallible. And we, we just don't add up to, to what you need. But through your son, for what he's done for us, dying on the cross, that you're there for us. And he wants to be with you. We just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen.